0: All right, I'm going to read in just a moment. First, uh, we have talked so far about the fact that we are heavenly and earthly beings um, made of the stuff of the ground, erits, remember, and yet embodied spirits. So that means that uh, we are made for the fact that God is is going to unite all things together in Christ, heaven and earth, and we are fit for that uh, as human beings. And we are God's image, and that's every single one of us. It's our essence. It's what we are. We can't help it. We can't get out of it. Uh, it's not about how much we can reason or th- something like that or be creative. Those are signs of the image, but we are the image. And that image is corporate, remember? Uh, it's men and women. So as soon as God says uh, he created them in his image, it's male and females, the very next thing God says. Meaning it's a gendered image, and that's part of the image. And so we're an organic unity, all of us together, men and women Only together can we really display the image of God, all his perfections on earth. And then we talked about how um, gender itself actually is in itself a type and sign of the movement from creation to new creation, which was going to happen in the Garden of Eden uh, if Adam and Eve were to fulfill the covenant, uh, and now is happening in Christ. So the movement from Adam to Eve is a sign of the movement from the beginning to the end, from earthliness to glory, Man to woman. So that's what we've looked at so far. And uh, in all of that, we've kind of wrapped it in a bow by saying, really, the point of human existence is that God loves you, Jesus loves you. This you know because the Bible tells you so. And uh, that God became a wiggly little baby because he wants to be close to you. That was the point of the Garden of Eden. God came down to the garden to be close to his people, his image. And that's what God's been doing since then, since we messed that up. And that's what he's done in Jesus. So, that's the big picture. Let us let us pray. No, I was kidding. That was like a fake closing saying. We don't really we don't really need to say much more than that. Um, uh, But you know what? We're gonna read scripture now. So why don't we pray? Why don't we pray? Lord, we thank you for your word, and we thank you uh, for the beauty and intricacy of the word and the simplicity that is simultaneously profound, and for the gospel and how you preach the gospel even in Genesis. And we pray, we pray and give thanks to you now. In Christ's name, amen. All right, let's read a few sections of the text. We're gonna go back to Genesis 126 first. So let's start there to 31, and then I'll call it the next. I brought a Bible today that has verses, verse numbers. So that'll be better, probably. Um, chapter one, first page of the Bible, verse 26. Then God said, let us make man, Adam, in our image And have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, behold, I've given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of the earth and every tree with seed and its fruit. You shall have them for food and to every beast of the earth and to every bird of the heavens and to everything that creeps on the earth. Everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he made. And behold, it was very good. And there was evening and morning, the sixth day. All right, jump with me to chapter two, verse five, just five to seven. When no bush of the field was yet in the land and no small plant of the field had yet sprung up for the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the land. There was no man to work the ground and a mist was going up from the land and was watering the whole face of the ground. And the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and the man became a living creature." And then over to verse 19 to 21. Uh, Now, out of the ground, the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon him. And while he slept, Uh, God took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. All right, let's move now to um, over to uh, chapter three. And this is our final reading, but a bit longer. Uh, And we'll read the series of curses that that God gives from verse eight down to 19. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, or wind. Your Bible probably has a footnote there, wind of the day. Uh, <clears throat> let's think about it together. Uh, maybe you've noticed that what we're kind of doing is going back through the same stuff over and over again, Genesis one to three, and look at it, looking at it in different ways um, and putting pieces together for our anthropology. Uh, so I think we can we can be fast and simple actually today. Um, and I just want you to see uh, an answer to the question here: What is it that we're supposed to do? So we talked about what we are, and now. Let's just get a paradigm for what it is that we're supposed to do. So <clears throat> I've titled this talk, We're Purposed. We have a purpose. Uh, we have a vocation. So let's, let's think about that together. And before I give, you, give it to you, it's threefold, the vocation we have. Um, I want to give you another little phrase that we're going to come back to right at the end that fits it all together. And it's a phrase that uh, I think will, will really open up the Bible for you in new ways, Uh, although probably it's a phrase many of you will have come across, and that's this, that the paradigm of everything that happens in Scripture is, is simply this, grace restores nature. Grace restores nature. So the grace of God in the gospel restores nature, and the word nature means creation. And another way to say that is to say that the new creation is restoring creation. Uh, In other words, God is taking everything that was meant to be and by his grace, making it that way through the gospel, right? So the movement is from creation to new creation for a reason. Grace is bringing everything that was, excuse me, that was supposed to be, to be in Jesus. Grace restores nature. So he takes away all that's wrong in the gospel all that's sad, and he makes it all untrue, as Tolkien said. And he gives us everything we need in the gospel. Uh, And so that's a a paradigm you need to then think about what your purpose is, what we're for. And uh, let's think about it. We are God's image. That's our essence. But image is also our vocation. So because you are the image of God, God has called you to image God. So that's the simplest way to say it. Image is both your essence, what you are, and your vocation, what God's asked you to do. Image them into the world. And that comes in three ways, three simple ways. And if you look with me down at verse one, uh, chapter one, verse 26 and following, down particularly to verse 28, uh, you can see it there. God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply. Now, uh, the very first time God ever speaks to human beings is right here. And the very first thing he does is he gives them a benediction. That's the word blessing. He, he pronounces a benediction over them, a blessing. And that blessing is a command, right? So those are the same, one and the same for God. He blesses them by telling them to do something, by commanding them and saying, I'm blessing you with purpose, right? The benediction is your purpose, The blessing is go and do this. That's the blessing he's given to us. So he's given us a purpose. And this is the purpose. The first one, uh, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Uh, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. That's the first one. The second one is subdue it and have dominion over it. And then he explains that. Okay, so that's the second purpose. And then the third purpose is implied in Genesis 1 and 2. Uh, You can see it in a few ways. Um, Chapter two, verse three is the moment where God enters into rest on the Sabbath day. And God's entrance into rest on the Sabbath day means that God actually enters creation and is satisfied with it. Uh, It's his delight. That's the main meaning of God's Sabbath. God, by the way, never stops working. God never ceases activity. Um, What does Sabbath mean for God? It means that he treasures, he delights. He takes joy in what he's made. He enters into it to see it. And says, I like this. This is good. Uh, He comes to be with people. That's his Sabbath. Uh, That's why the seventh day never ended. It's still going. He enters into the earth he made, right? Meaning that the third purpose is uh, to be near near God, with God, that God came down to be close to you. So you should be close to him. Now, those are the three purposes of humankind. Uh, To be fruitful and to multiply and fill the earth. To take dominion and subdue the land and to be near unto God, the three purposes. Now, uh, let's go back through them. The first one, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Um, this is obviously a command to marry, get married. We see that in the very next passage. To have children, be fruitful and multiply. That's what it's very specifically talking about, and fill the earth. But the, the meta idea, the big idea that's surrounding that is that God is saying that humanity, his image is situated in in the Garden of Eden. And it's their job to actually make society that fans out into the rest of the cosmos. Okay, so their purpose was to not be two, but be many and and create a society that all images God. And uh, we we see this in Deuteronomy that when, when people have kids, Uh, in the Old Testament, in the Torah, what are they supposed to do Deuteronomy 6? They're supposed to teach those kids everything that the, the parents know about God and be a witness about God to the kids. And then the kids need to go and get married and have babies and then tell their kids everything they know about God and be a witness. And it doesn't just work for marriage and kids. It's also just, hey, when you're out there and you're trying to spread the Garden of Eden into the world, just tell everybody you know about God, what you know about him, and be a witness. See, the, the command, be fruitful, multiply, is another way of saying it, is the, the command that human beings are meant to be prophetic prophets. They're me- meant to create prophetic community. Uh, we do that through marriage and bearing children. And we also do it through just uh, talking to people, having friends. That's another way. Uh, see the very first thing God says, that's both a benediction and a command is build a prophetic community, be prophetic so that you can create a prophetic community so that the society of the image will be worldwide, not just on top of this mountain called Eden. Um, it's meant to be everywhere. So that's the first thing. So that means the very first thing that you, that every human being exists for is to be a prophet, to, to create prophetic community to be a witness unto God. You image God as his image by witnessing unto him. Uh, that's being a prophet, right? So the first thing we're told is prophet. The second thing we're told is, uh, back to chapter 128, is, is to subdue the earth, fill the earth, subdue it, have dominion over it. Now, um, God, uh, God, in the next passage, uh, chapter two, sorry, um, toward the end, 18 and following, we read it. This is where God takes Adam in the garden and he brings all the animals to Adam and Adam names every one of them. And it, said, and it says that whatever Adam named them, that's what they are. Okay, in, in the Hebrew culture, ancient Near East, uh, naming something is different than what we do with names. Um, you name something uh, to give it essentially an essence, to define it. Uh, so a name is both essential to what the thing is and its vocation. All right. So think about this. Uh, Abram. Abram's name was changed, right? To what? Somebody shouted it out. Abraham. Abraham. And what's Abraham mean? The father of the nations, right? So God said, I've called you out of Babylon out of Chaldea, and I have set you apart, and now your essence is that you are the father of nations. So go and be it. That's your name, Avraham. And that means that essence is exactly what a name bears in the ancient Near Eastern world. Uh, Adam is given the job by God to name all the stuff. Uh, So God doesn't name the stuff. He doesn't say, you know, God's not the one that says, that's a lion, you know, it's, it's Adam that does that. Meaning Adam has the right to give names and identities to the other creatures. And when God says, here's, that's just an example. When God says, take dominion and subdue the earth, he is saying that Adam and Eve are stewards of creation, but not just stewards, that they're royal stewards, uh, that they have the right over the land that they are sovereign, that the creatures all around them are to be beneath them as king, king and queen. All right? Now look, we're starting to put some together here. Um, the first thing God tells humanity is that you are a prophet. The second thing He tells humanity is you are a king, king and queen, you're royal. Your prophets, you're royal, your princes and princesses, your kings and queens. And the third thing, then he says, can anybody guess the third heading? Priests. Priests. All right, we've already said that. Past two talks, right? Uh, Chapter two, verse fifteen. We we talked about the fact that the Garden of Eden is a temple, and God says, uh, God says to Adam, "I want you to work it and keep it," and that those two verbs are the priestly verbs of Leviticus, the priestly verbs of, of Numbers. He's saying, "You're my priests." And you are uh, to be near unto me. Now a prophet speaks to other people about God, images God to people. A king, a queen, rules over a land and subdues, takes dominion, and a priest comes to the temple to meet with God. And that's exactly what a human being is: a prophet, a priest, kings and queens, royal. Royal priests and prophets. Uh, Now, here's the simple way to say it. What is the human being's job in this world? Um, The priest comes to the temple to be near unto God and to worship. So they're all W's, very simple. Uh, The human being's job is to worship like a priest in the temple, to work like somebody who has dominion over the land, who's taking dominion over the land, That's why Adam and Eve, by the way, live in a garden and not a wilderness. You know, what's the difference in a garden and a wilderness? Yeah. A garden is tended. A garden is tended, exactly. Wilderness spaces are chaotic and gardens are tended, structured, worked upon, right? Uh, Taking dominion over the land means take wilderness, build gardens. Take the raw materials of creation, which are not ordered, and order them. Uh, You might build an iPhone to do that, or you might actually make a literal garden to do that. Uh, In other words, the call to be royal is the call to work, to take dominion and steward the land, steward the resources God gave you. So you worship, you work, and the call of the prophet is to tell other people about God. And you can do that through getting married and having children and telling them and telling your spouse, and you can also do that through friendship and telling other people in all sorts of relationships. All right. Uh, the human vocation is simple. You are the image of God, and the way you image God is that you worship, you work, and you witness. And that's really it. And then you die. You, know? um, you worship, you work, and you witness. That's, uh, that's the calling of humanity. And now, let, let's, let's tie this all together by coming over to the curses that we read about. Uh, Adam and Eve, we're coming back to this tomorrow, but Adam and Eve rebel (laughs) against God and they sin. We've mentioned it a couple times already. And have you ever looked at the structure of the curses and thought about this? The human vocation, worship, work, witness. The human calling, be fruitful and multiply, take dominion over the land and be near unto God, worship God, be a priest. And look back at the structure, all right? Uh, Chapter three, verse eight. They hear the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the what of the day? So your Bible will probably say cool of the day, but most of you should have a footnote there. Do people have footnotes in their Bibles? Yep, and it says wind at the bottom. So this is the same word that gets used for storms also throughout the Old Testament. Um, and uh, cool is the way it's been translated for a long time. So people tend to, tend to stick with that, but it also could be, wind of the day. Um, God had been walking with Adam and Eve in the garden in his temple with them, his priests. And all of a sudden, after they sinned, God comes into the garden, not in the cool of the day, but in the wind. Why? Uh, because every time we see God come down in the Old Testament in wind, in storm, uh, God at Sinai, you know, what does he say? He comes down in a great cloud and in a storm. And he says to Moses, you tell all those people, don't get any closer to the mountain or they're going to die. He comes down in a condition of judgment. And when Adam and Eve sinned, God comes into the garden, not walking with them any longer as a friend, but coming down in the wind. And that's why they hide. They hide behind the rocks. This is the first curse. And they realize it, they don't have to be taught it. What is it? Uh, they are now alienated from God. They were made as priests in God's holy temple to worship him. And now when he comes into that temple, they have to hide, they have to stay away. And uh, whenever the temple instructions are given, what is it that's put between the human beings and God, God's presence? A curtain. Right? This is the first curtain. They're, they're hiding behind the rock. It's serving for them as the first curtain of the Holy of Holies. And now exactly what they were made for, worship has been broken. They're alienated. They do not have access. All right, so that's the first curse. Uh, so they were meant, uh, Adam was made as a priest and now that's, that's been ruined. Second curse, what is it? Uh, after the serpent, we'll come back to the serpent tomorrow. Um, he says uh, to the woman, I will put John uh, to verse sixteen. To the woman, he said, "I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. You'll bring forth children in pain. You'll desire. You will desire your husband, uh, and he shall rule over you." Now, this is entirely negative. The you shall desire your husband and he rule over you is a condition that's broken, not the way God meant the relationship to be. This is a curse, and uh, it's no surprise here that. What gets cursed is labor, childbearing, right? We call two things, you're gonna see this come back in a moment. We we call two things in English, labor. Um, What are they? Childbearing and miserable work, right? Is labor. Uh, Products of the curse. Uh, God says, be fruitful and multiply, get married, have children, and be a witness in all your relationships in the world. And so what gets cursed is being fruitful and multiplying, and trying to have relationships, especially between men and women it 's cursed uh, it 's broken it 's not the way it 's supposed to be. Um, so first, our calling to be priest is cursed we 're alienated from God, access is closed. then our calling to um, be what 's the second one be fruitful and multiply be prophets to be in relationships of witness with one another is cursed. Uh, men and women, their relationships is cursed human to human and particularly childbearing, is cursed. And then that means you know what's coming next, right? So the prophetic is cursed, the priestly is cursed, now the royal is cursed. And what does he say to Adam? He says, you listen to the voice of your wife, you ate of the tree, so cursed is the ground because of you, the eretz. Now Adam was made of this. This is the exact word that's used for the stuff Adam was made of. His relationship, he's Adam of the Adamah. He's, he's a man of the ground, but now his relationship to the ground is cursed and ruined. He was made for work and for dominion, for gardening, and now uh, every garden he tries to make is gonna be chaotic. Now, this is why you have to pull weeds from your garden, right, right here. Um, the ground is <laughs> cursed. It's set against you. The animals are set against you. He had named them. He had a beautiful, harmonious relationship with them. Now it's broken. Now they will. Now the bears will eat him. Uh, this is exactly what happens. So your calling to be a person who worships, works, and witnesses is the threefold curse that we've all experienced. <laughs> so our vocation is clear. Uh, we are royal priests, meant to build a holy nation, a prophetic community, and in every level, sin has ruined that and cursed that. Now, lastly. When Jesus Christ comes into the world, uh, Colossians 1 says that he is not an image of God. We are all images, an image of God. But it comes, Colossians 1 gives him the definite article and says he is the image. And that means he is the man, the Adam, the second Adam, the image. And remember what happened to him Uh, when he comes into the world. He well, remember Matthew 26, the crucifixion. Matthew 26 and the crucifixion. Uh, when, when Jesus draws his last breath and says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And he dies. The next thing Matthew tells us is something about the temple. He tells us immediately the curtain of the temple was torn into. And what we're being told right there is that Jesus Christ, the second Adam, took on the curse that stands against our calling to worship, our calling to be priests in God's kingdom. And the curtain ripped in two right in that moment. Everything that happened in Genesis three has now been reversed, undone in that moment. It's not so much the sense that uh, you can now go into the Holy of Holies, though that's true, but the idea there I think is actually more that God has gone out. Why? Because Garden of Eden was never meant to be isolated on top of a mountain, God's presence was never meant to just sit inside the Holy of Holies. God made us and said, make the whole, we're going to make the whole world together the temple of God. And so when that curtain rips in two, God goes out into the world. And now anybody who is encountered by God's Spirit can become a priest, uh, can worship. You have access. You're adopted. Now that means also you're adopted. When Jesus comes into the world as uh, the son of God in your place and he dies and rises again, he says, now in me, you can be adopted. And uh, I'm I'm the prince who has been given the right to be king. He's been given all authority in heaven and on earth. He's been given the right to subdue the land, to take dominion over everything, the fish, the birds, the people, the nations. That's where the nations. And then he adopts you as his brother as a son or a daughter of the king. And that means now, in Jesus, you become royal. And that means uh, not only are you back in the family of God as a prince or princess, but also you have been given the right to work in a way that actually glorifies God. Um, So when you go out to work every day, as a student or working in your working life, in Christ, you now can work to the glory of God. You're renewed. All right, listen, grace restores nature. The grace of Jesus Christ in the gospel restores you in your work to what it's supposed to be. Restores you in your worship to what's been barred in sin. Now it can become what it's supposed to be. Uh, you're, you're royal, you're priestly. And then lastly, uh, what well, Jesus Christ, Matthew 26 again, um, if you read through, uh, by the way, this is on the kingly side, the royal side, but if you read through Matthew 26, one of the things you'll notice is that the crucifixion, the, the most important thing that's highlighted in some senses is, is uh, the royal setting. Uh, Jesus wears purple. Jesus has a sign over his head that says the king. In John's gospel, it says that the crucifixion is the lifting up of Christ, is the exaltation, like he's a king ascending to his throne. It's highlighting the royal and uh, all of that, but it's also highlighting something else, Remember that um, when Adam is cursed here in Genesis 3.16, uh, God says, the ground is cursed because of you. It's gonna always fight against you. And he says, thorns will rise up against you. Thorns will rise up against you. Every time you try to plant a garden, uh, it's gonna be thorny. And it's no coincidence that at the moment of crucifixion, they, they shoved, they pushed a crown of what? A royal crown of the thorn, the thorns into Christ's head. He literally wore the curse of the ground, the curse of uh, of work. He wore it upon his head and um, he reversed it. He took every single one of the curses, which are all set against what a human being is, and he turned them upside down. He died in them and for them so that he could fix them for us, all right? Now, that means, just to close things up, that... uh, um the, the simple way to remember what a human is and what a human's for is, is just to say that you, you are the image of God and you're meant to be a prophet, priest, and king, royal, prophetic, and priestly. Uh, Jesus Christ restores that. Now, let me wrap up with this. That's why 1 Peter 3, 2, sorry, First Peter 2, verse 9. This is, so if you take a course on uh, what's the church, this will be the place that they start, Probably if they don't tell them that they should have started in 1 Peter 2, verse nine. And uh, do you remember it? 1 Peter 2, nine, or you can flip there. Um, What does 1 Peter 2, nine says to to the church? You are a royal priesthood, a holy nation. You're royal, uh, you're priests, and you're a holy nation. You're a prophetic community. Holy nation, that's what that means. And so, uh, it's simple. Our job is to worship in Christ, to work uh, to the glory of God, and to witness. Uh, And that can mean get married and witness to your spouse, witness to the gospel itself and the fact of being married, which is what Ephesians five says, and witness to your kids, and also witness to everybody. So Acts 1-8 is the fulfillment of the prophetic call. You will go into the world now and be my witnesses. Uh, Meaning, whether you're married or not, if you stay single your whole life, you still can build the family of God. You can still have spiritual children. Uh, You can still fulfill Genesis 128. You will be my witnesses. Be fruitful and multiply. You do that through witness, whether you're married or not. Worship, work, witness. That's what the image does. All right, let's pray. Lord, we... Thank you for the paradigms you've given us in the Bible. And we ask, uh, Father, that you would uh, use this threefold paradigm, prophet, priest, king, worship, witness, work, um, and drive it into our hearts that we might see uh, how we can do this, how we can be the image that we are unto your glory in this life. So, Lord, you know that we could take all three of these and think about them for days. Uh, so we, we just need this as we go forward into life that you would apply it to our heart in all sorts of ways, all sorts of levels so that we could see it in our, and be conscious of it in our day-to-day experiences. So we pray for this in Christ's name, amen.